What's up and welcome back to the Locked On Bucks podcast. I'm James Yarko, joined as always by David Harrison. You can find everything that we're doing over at BucksNation.com and make sure you follow along on Twitter at Locked On Bucks, at Yarko underscore Bucks, and at DH82 underscore Bucks. For this wonderful preview episode of tonight's Buccaneers and Lions game, we have brought on very special guest, friend of the show, former host of the show, and now working for TheAthletic.com, Mr. Greg Allman. Greg, how you doing? Doing well. It takes me back, guys. Uh, this is uh, old school here to be back on the Locked on Bucks podcast, but thanks for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. We appreciate uh, you know you uh, giving us some of your time here to uh, to discuss the Bucks and the Lions game tonight. And you know the big news right out of the gate, <clears throat> of course, today was the fact that Charles Sims was placed on IR. Um, you had tweeted out the first thing that I had thought of was that opens the door for uh, Sean Wilson to be able to join the 53 man roster. I mean, does, he's been an incredibly popular running back among fans and, and media during training camp. Was he in danger of not making the 53 man roster before this Charles Sims injury? And kind of, how do you see that playing out? I mean, I would say, yes, I would say he wasn't, he certainly wasn't a lock to make the roster. I mean, I had, even this morning, had kind of laid things out in my mind that you had Rodgers and Sims and Wilson, and, and likely only two of those would make it. And then it was just a matter of which two of those three. And, and like, if Sean Wilson, I mean, right now there's a decent chance he might get one or both of the return jobs, which kind of makes it easy to have him on the roster. And then whatever he does at running back is, is just kind of gravy at that point. Um, but... What this does, I mean, Charles Sims, you have to remember that, I mean, Charles Sims was a free agent, went to free agency, and was untouched for about six weeks, and re-signed with the Bucks right before the draft started, like the day before the draft started, on a really modest deal. Um, I think it was like $200,000 more than the league minimum. Um, so he wasn't really in any way assured of a roster spot. I mean, if you think back, if you look at the two preseason games, when they've gone to third down in the preseason, Jacquez Rogers has been the first running back in and not Charles Sims. So he wasn't even necessarily lining up as if he had the old third down job. So I think this is one of those injuries that's unfortunate, but probably simplifies the decision-making process for the Bucks here. I mean, they're going to start making cuts a week from today. And that's, like I said, I think this makes things easier. They've been very high on Sean Wilson. Uh, hasn't really done anything to set himself back. Um, I think he can definitely help himself just by doing the right things in these two preseason games. But they're very excited about him, and I think he's a guy that can make the roster now. Yeah, Greg, I also I also saw what you wrote, you know, following the the news that Charleston was going to IR, and it it kind of got me thinking. I know that Sean Wilson is he's kind of been the like the Cinderella story of of camp and the preseason and everything. But is it is it a real solid deal like that? It's it's going to be him. And uh, I'm going to butcher his name, but Ogun Bawali, like, does he have no chance of, of overcoming Wilson or, or what do you think? about? No, that? I think there's a chance. I mean, like I was intrigued in that Ogun Bawale had the opening kickoff in, in the last mm-hmm. game in the Titans game, which was telling to me. I don't know that he did that much with it, but it showed me that they wanted to give him a, a full chance, if you will. The thing I would remember about Agumbo Wale is that they had him last year on the practice squad and dropped him after a week. And, and I think some of that was just having needs to other positions. But then he was largely unclaimed as they went to training camp. The only reason he's here is a guy named Dalton Crossan, who they had as an undrafted rookie, hurt himself, I want to say, in the first week of training camp. Um, 
and that brought that brought Dare in. So I think he's absolutely made the most of this, um, mm-hmm. both in what he's done in practice, and then you know, I mean, he had a nice, he had like a 38-yard catch on a wheel route in the Titans game, and did the right. same thing in practice yesterday. Um, so I mean, he's he's doing things well here. Like it would be entirely reasonable that Dare could be on the practice squad right now. I, I tend to think that Sean Wilson had like a four-month head start on him to okay. impress them. Um, and, and like Agumboale, I mean, he was on the Redskins roster. He played in two games last year, so there's a little bit more NFL experience, but I, I don't think it's enough right now. I mean, if he did really well in these next two games, could make it tricky. But right now, I still think Wilson's well ahead. Greg, you've been covering the Buccaneers for a long time, uh, you know, for the Tampa Bay Times. And as we said in the intro, mm-hmm. you've now moved on to the athletic. And now Buccaneers fans can read your work and follow your coverage at a discounted rate, thanks in large part to our friends at The Athletic and the Locked On Network. The Athletic is a subscription-based publisher of smarter sports coverage for diehard fans, and their model is simple. No ads, no pop-ups, no autoplay videos. Instead, readers subscribe for authentic, in-depth coverage written by journalists who know their teams inside and out, present company obviously very much included. Coverage will go beyond... (laughs) coverage will go beyond game recaps and trade speculation to provide smarter analysis and a deeper perspective about teams and the league subscribers have access to local and national content with more than 650 to 700 new stories published every week across all sports subscribe and be part of the future of sports journalism and you can do that by going to theathletic.com forward slash locked on bucks for 40 percent off an annual subscription you're talking $2.99 a month for a full year of coverage. You can read all of Greg's work. There's Joe Smith over there covering the lightning. They have raised coverage. They have national coverage. Thanks to guys like Ross Tucker and Jay Glazer, you know, tons and tons of stuff at the athletic well worth the money. And uh, you can get all that. As I said, by going to theathletic.com forward slash locked on bucks for 40% off of an annual subscription. So Greg, we're, we're reaching what people have deemed the dress rehearsal for preseason. It's the game where the starters go into the third quarter and, you know, they play the majority of the game before pretty much they all sit on the sidelines for the fourth game. And thus far, we've seen a a pretty even divide between Fitzpatrick and Winston as far as snaps and, and their time on the field. Given that it's going to be primarily the ones throughout this game, are we going to see a whole lot of Jameis Winston against the Lions with the first team offense, or are they going to approach this as if it's the first three games of the season and Winston won't be available and maybe get him some work after the ones are pulled? How do you see this shaking out? I mean, can can you tell the listeners anything about you know what you've heard regarding how they're going to share time? Yeah, I mean, first of all, Dirk isn't saying much. So what, what we're doing is kind of trying to read into what he's done and what logically he'll do next. Um, and the tricky thing compared to most teams is is that the Bucks are trying to get two quarterbacks ready. So you're in this perilous position where, especially with the injuries they have on the offensive line, you don't want to have an offensive line full of people that won't make your roster being asked to protect the the most important quarterback on your team. So 
their challenge is going to be getting both Fitz and Winston the reps they want without overworking the rest of the first-team offense. Um, and I thought they did a good job of that in Tennessee. Um, it's like Fitz, I think Fitz had 21 snaps and Winston had 25 snaps. Um, and they both, it was kind of cool in that they both just got a lot of work in a half. I mean, 46 snaps in a half is a lot. So I think um, I think Donovan Smith and Marpet and Jensen played every snap with both quarterbacks. And I think Beninock at right guard played maybe all but the last five. Like they gave Kappa like a little bit of work with Winston, maybe the last series he was in. And Dotson has kind of had been able to take it easy so far in all of this. So Dotson left after maybe two or three series, and they put Brad Seaton in. So I think going into this game, what they're most likely to do is, is first of all, the, the, the first offense will have the entire first half, um, except for the rare exceptions like like Dotson or somebody else that they're specifically protecting from injury and, and overworking when they don't need to. Um, and then I think Fitz will probably be the first one off the field. I mean, it makes sense that if he gets uh, a full quarter and a good drive in the second quarter, they can probably move on and, and put Winston in there and let Winston have the rest of the half. And maybe uh, somebody had mentioned that it might be smart to let Fitz come out of the second half and have the first drive in the third quarter just to get that rhythm again of coming out of halftime and, and getting back into the swing of things. Um, but I would think those two are both gone, as, as will be most of the starters, kind of by – midway to the third quarter and then you can again go back to ryan griffin and backups and i mean some of that is important because you're still trying to decide some of these battles for roster spots so you want to make sure all of those guys get on the field um in this game if you don't get in this on the field in the in a third preseason game it usually doesn't bode well for for you sticking around yeah greg and another you know, another storyline that's been constant through the offseason and then and so far here in the preseason, obviously, is this revamped defensive line. And through the first two games, I mean, honestly, a lot of people are pretty underwhelmed uh, from, from what they've seen. So where do, where do you kind of stand on that? Like, do you think maybe people were just a little maybe expecting a little too much too too fast? Or are you are you also kind of unimpressed by what you've seen? And, and how do you think uh, this defensive line is going to come out against Detroit? Yeah, I think there's a couple things at play there. One, I have been. They've kind of been – the first defense has largely kind of been a bend-don't-break type defense. Um, I think Miami was able to move down the field pretty well and then stalled late. Um, Tennessee moved the ball a little bit. So I think the, the most important thing to remember is that they are not showing a whole lot at all on defense. So I think this is a very vanilla base defense. Uh, not a lot of exotic looks, not a lot of blitzes, not a lot of uh, misdirection. And they're just kind of going through. Uh, if they're using more than a third of the defensive playbook, I would be surprised. So part of that is is they're getting the experience of playing and playing together, but I don't think they're really doing a lot to try and outsmart the other team. Um, and that's probably a decent part of why they've been kind of just meh as a defense. Um I felt like McCoy had a big sack in the first game. Pierre Paul, I think, had tackles on back-to-back plays. I've definitely been aware of Jason Pierre Paul and him not only being a pass rusher but being a good run defender. I've seen him a lot. Remember, they're they're missing Vea, they're missing Unrein, so that's two of your top four D tackles that haven't played at all in the preseason. Um, and I guess we don't know for sure when when the Bucks will get them back, but that's a big part of the interior rush defense there. 
Um, at end, I can't see. I've seen, I think Curry had a sack, one sack in the Tennessee game. Uh, Golston obviously has been very quiet and has had to play. Golston, to me right now, is a little bit like Safarian Jenkins was his last year here and that he's mm-hmm. he's getting to play a lot more than you probably would want to play. And I think they're trying to kind of use that to prove a point. Um, I think he's kind of been in the doghouse a little bit with, with Buckner. Um, so he's played a lot more. They've made him play inside. He's kind of taken the brunt of the lack of depth at tackle due to injuries, and they've made him go inside and play a little bit. Um, Goldstone, I think, is fine. He's got a guaranteed contract that pays him like $6 million, so that it would be really, really odd if they cut him. Um, but I don't think he's been what they want him to be. So he's somebody that stood out that way. I, I've probably been more, in terms of what you're unimpressed by or what you are concerned in seeing, I, I've probably been more concerned about the linebackers because I, when I've seen them, it's them missing tackles so far. Um, yeah. I don't know that I've seen that much of Levante or Quan making big plays. Um, and there are definitely four or five times between the two of them where I've seen missed tackles. Um, secondary, um, I mean, Ryan Smith had that pick late the Miami game, but there haven't been a huge ton of plays by the established guys. If anything, we've seen pass breakups by the rookies between MJ and Carlton Davis have been impressed how well they get their hands on the ball. So the defense as a whole, like I said, I don't think it's been underwhelming as a whole, but uh, but I'd, I'd like, I think fans would probably want to see three and outs and sacks and, and turnovers in this game. Uh, Detroit has not been a very good team in the preseason so far. They've looked like a team that's adjusting to a new head coach that's also missing some personnel on offense. Um, so this is a game the Bucks should win and, and should look good doing, you know? Yeah, and, and they have won both of their preseason games so far, you know, obviously. And a lot of fans are really excited about the way the offenses have looked. You know, Jameis has been lights out in both preseason games. He's so far been rated as pro football focuses number one quarterback in the preseason. You can take their grades however which way you want. I personally am not a fan. A lot of people are. You know, you have Ryan Griffin, who's been playing phenomenally. Of course, he's going up against those third-team defenses, and, and he's going up against a lot of guys that probably won't be on NFL rosters, you know, two weeks from now. But one thing that a lot of people point to is Todd Munkin being the play caller on offense. And I'm very much of the stance of it's it's nice while we can see it. I do not expect it to spill over into the regular season. I think Cutter's going to take that responsibility back because that just seems to me to be his makeup and, and what he wants to do. Do you see the same thing out of the offensive play calling, or do you think that Cutter might take a step back and say, you know what, you know, Munkin has done a great job so far, and and with him focusing on that, I can focus on these other things? Or do you think come week one against the New Orleans Saints that Cutter's going to be the one calling the plays again? Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, and I think that the easy presumption to make is that Cutter takes it back just because it's all he's ever done. Um, I mean, since he's been in the NFL, he hasn't ceded play calling to anybody else. Uh, as an offensive coordinator, as a head coach at all. So I think it's on a couple different levels. It's probably what he does best. I think he's a good play caller offensively. Um, it's something he likes to do. And I think he has a lot of confidence in his ability to do it well. That, that's not to say Todd Munkin hasn't done a very good job 
uh, in his first two games calling at the NFL level. Um, so what Dirk has to balance is what he gains as a result of Munkin calling, um, both during the game, an awareness of what else is happening, an ability to talk to other coaches at times when the offense has the ball. Um, there's just that, what are the benefits of him not calling the plays? And how much does that value mean to him to add the uncertainty of somebody else calling plays now that hasn't done it in the regular season? Um, and, and these two, make it clear, these two work together really well um, and, and work together on the game plan all week long to where I don't think there's a lot of times where Munkin makes a play call and Cutter's like, what was that? Um, I, I think they would probably have similar reads in a lot of situations and are probably talking to each other and saying like, hey, I think this works here to where it, it's a concerted effort. It's kind of like only one person can drive the car, but I think the other person is given directions and helping with the navigation, if you will. So as much as it is a big thing who does it, I don't think it's a, a big setback from where they are right now if Cutter takes the reins again and, and wants to do it himself rather than delegate it. I think what he's found is that um, he's known Andy Reid for like 30 years. Um, there are other offensive guys that had play calling and gave it up to an assistant. And he's found that most of the time when you give it up, you end up taking it back anyway. Um, and I think he's trying to avoid that. So, yeah, my, my thought is that he'll he'll be the guy calling plays week one. But it's gone very well, and it speaks well for the offense that, that it's gone well with Munkin calling plays too. All right. Well, <clears throat> Greg, that was really all we had for you. We really appreciate some of your time tonight. What do you have on tap for Buccaneers fans over at The Athletic? Yeah, a couple of days. Obviously, tomorrow's a big deal. Uh, just the first game I've covered since I've been with them. Uh, so we'll have something up in the morning just on uh, just kind of, as we talked about here, some of the battles to watch, roster spots that are up for grabs. It, it's getting to be fewer and fewer spots that are really up for, for grabs right now. I mean, I, I had it at about uh, 10 at one point, and that was really including the two running back spots as uncertainty. So you can pretty much pencil those in. Um, it, it's probably seven or eight jobs you can point to that are up for grabs. So just detailing those. Um, a couple of other things we'll have leading up to the game tomorrow, and then obviously a lot of coverage. Uh, just coming out of the home game tomorrow night, and, and it's a short week again, so you blink and it'll be the last preseason game. And then, honestly, a week from now they're making cuts, so it, it really won't be long before it's a 53-man roster and we're, we're talking about New Orleans and getting ready for that. All right. Well, and, of course, all of you can check out Greg's work at The Athletic. Dot com And if you're not a, a subscriber yet, make sure you go to theathletic.com forward slash locked on bucks and get your 40% off that annual subscription. Greg, thank you so much for some of your time tonight. We really appreciate it. Yeah, again, congratulations on, on landing the job with the athletic. You're going to crush it. Very excited for you and very excited to see your coverage over there. <clears throat> and of course, well, thank, all of thanks you. so much. Yeah. Oh, thanks go right so much ahead. for having me on, and uh, yeah, I don't need to cut you off there. No, um, you're good. Really appreciate you coming on, and, and it's especially cool to have the athletic. Everything's coming together for here with the old podcast and the new job. But uh, no, thank you guys. You guys are doing a great job uh, taking good care of the podcast for me. I know it's in good hands. All right, appreciate we appreciate that, you, Greg. Make All sure right, you guys have a good night. All right, you too. Make sure you're following Greg on Twitter at Greg Allman, and make sure that you're following along with us at Locked On Bucks, at Jarco underscore Bucks, and at DH82 underscore Bucks. David, real quick before we get out of here, score prediction. Oh, man, uh, 
Bucks, obviously. 24-17 Bucks. All right, I will go uh, 30-24 Bucks. And Sean Wilson has a return for a touchdown. No, that is not going to happen, but good try. <laughs> Carlton Davis has a pick six. I'm down with that, too. <laughs> all right a bit, again big 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 thank you to greg allman he's a fantastic follow he's a fantastic read he's a fantastic guy we enjoy having him on the podcast and uh hope you all enjoy the game it's a friday night you guys can cut loose have a couple beers while you're watching it you don't have to get up and go to work in the morning unless your name is james yarko in which case you do but hope you all have a wonderful enjoyable safe weekend enjoy the game we will be back with our recap episode with buccaneers.com's carmen vitale very excited to have her return to the podcast we'd like to thank each and every one of you for joining us right here at locked on bucks